If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 22. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe me, believe in me through the end, through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are, as we are one. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Okay, eschatology sermon number three. Extra stars in your crowns for hanging with me. <laughs> Except not really, that's above my pay grade. Um, but don't take that permission as permission to leave. I actually don't think that y'all would do that anyway, especially given the arguments for a faithful eschatology. As we have noted over the last two weeks, anything less than a biblically responsible and intellectually honest eschatology can lead to white nationalism, religious extremism, despair, false promises, and abandonment of one of our most sacred responsibilities, care for the only home we know, this wondrous planet. Eschatological understandings that focus solely on a mysterious group of chosen people, or God using war and violence to prove a point, or to make us think that nothing we do matters, are why today's headlines read as they do. When Henry and I met this week to work on his pastoral prayer, he shared a few of his observations of a pastoral prayer I gave a few weeks ago, the weekend of the shootings in El Paso and Dayton. Why so serious, he said, those prayers might scare people, especially kids. And he wasn't wrong. I asked him, though, where, other than church, we should talk about things that scare us. He thought for a moment and said, yeah, I guess church makes sense. And this is true. We talk about hard things, difficult things, scary things at church because we are surrounded by people who can help us carry the sadness, the worry, the fear. This is where we find people who can hold on to hope 
when we can't, this is where we discern our next faithful step. It is in this place that we dream of, plan for, and then work the plan for a just and peaceful world. This is why we're talking eschatology. It is crucial we offer a faithful vision of what's next because of how uncertain and scary things seem. It is the only way to change our trajectory. John, the writer of the fourth gospel, I think was familiar with the feeling. John, in his Jewish mysticism and fantastical way of writing, gives us some things to think about as we work out why eschatology matters. He, too, lived in a difficult time, a time of violence and uncertainty, division in the church, division between traditions, division about how to resist oppression. So in his gospel, John regularly offers a vision of a better day when things will be made right upon the coming parousia of God, which in the Greek literally means being present. It is an odd phrase, the coming being present of God. John says that the only way to make sense of that strange concept of the final coming is to live it now in an everlasting life of entertaining the spirit as a guest. And we hear this in today's scripture. The 17th chapter of John is often referred to as the priestly prayer. The setting is just before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. It is traditionally divided into three parts. The first is a prayer that Jesus utters for himself. The second prayer, he prays for the disciples. And the third prayer is offered for those who will believe because of the witness of the disciples. The primary request of all three prayers is unity. It is crucial to note that Jesus is not interested in ecclesiastical or church unity, although this is a traditional interpretation. Jesus is also not praying for doctrinal unity, which has also been a traditional interpretation of this text. But both of those interpretations are almost always used by individuals and institutions for keeping power and control. Jesus does not call us to cookie-cutter worship or discipleship. Jesus does not ask us to recite creeds or create litmus tests of faith. Jesus calls us to live the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven right now. As Bishop John Shelby Spong observed, it is not a unity imposed on any basis from outside in the service of any agenda. No, the unity of which this prayer speaks is the oneness of the human with the divine that has been the constant theme of this gospel. It is the unity of the vine with the branches. That unity is found in understanding God not as an external being, but as the essence of life. John even makes Jesus use the third person name and title for himself to make his point. Unity comes in knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The word of God comes from God, reveals the meaning of God, and then returns to God. It is a mystical experience of oneness, not a oneness in which individuality is lost, but a oneness in which individuality is affirmed, 
security is surrendered and a new being is entered. In the text we read this morning, the prayer turns ultimately to the future, to those who will believe in me through the word and through the followers' lives as disciples. That they may all be one is Jesus' prayer. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Here we find Jesus pulling people towards God, which is to say, towards one another. God is not an external, distant entity. God is a life we enter, a love we share, the ground in which we are rooted. But lest this mysticism turn off those of us who appreciate a bit more concreteness, Ultimately, the prayer makes it clear that Jesus expects the world to be a better place for his having been there, and the disciples too, all in the hope of bringing the whole world closer to God. And this is what we mean when we say that eschatology is an orientation, a way of being in the world that declares we trust God to be God, that all things will be made right, and that in the end, love will see us through. As a gathering of Jesus followers, this is how we frame our understanding of what is to come, what the last things are about, and what the end times will bring if we live according to such an orientation, not proselytizing in ways that divide the world into those who are in and those who are out, but lives built on moving towards one another into a future where swords are beaten into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks, and we shall learn war no more. To be honest, I, I can only take too much expository preaching on eschatology. We could exegete biblical texts, and non-biblical texts for that matter, till the cows come home and this was, of course, part of the point of the assignment that inspired this sermon series. You remember the challenge from Dr. Long to my Doctor of Ministry cohort, a five-minute sermon on eschatology, five minutes only, for it is all too easy for preachers to say much without saying anything at all. So I'll close this series with the five-minute sermon I gave when it was my turn in class. Anytime Jesus was asked a hard question, he answered with a story, one meant to keep us thinking. And the story I am about to tell is one I cannot stop thinking about, no matter how many times I tell it. I hope that is true for you. And you may have even heard me tell it before, it is my favorite and ultimately how I summarize my understanding of faith and our work here on earth. This story is rooted in scripture and then it was passed down from the desert mothers and fathers and then it wound its way all the way over the centuries to Mayflower Church. As I have come to understand it, Eschatology has nothing to do with Jesus coming back for a second time because, quite frankly, he's come back umpteenth times. The Gospels tell us so. 
Every single one has Jesus making a return appearance or three. Just flip towards the end of each one of those books and you'll see no matter which version, there are commonalities. Jesus appears, there is a teaching, a promise of presence, and in three of the four Gospels, a rising. This Rising is in the longer and later ending to Mark. It's there in Matthew and in Luke, too. Luke thinks it's so nice, he tells it twice, once in his gospel and then in Acts. But given the word we read today about Jesus' hope of oneness with God for everyone, it seems that John agrees, too. And these stories, I think, tell us how to live according to our eschatological belief that God will be God, things will be made right in the end, and love will see us through. So, I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, but I know that this story is true. After Jesus died, his friends were very, very sad, but They kept his memory alive by talking about him, sharing stories of his teachings, laughing at his terrible jokes. And it always seemed when they got together and started talking about him that he would appear. And one day they gathered on a hillside and started that memory work. And they told his jokes and they laughed at his stories and they remembered his teachings. And what do you know? Jesus appeared. And he began to teach them, reminding them of what he had said over and over again about turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, give your coat and your cloak, and then, of course, the punchline, which is to love each other as God loves us. And when he was finished, all of a sudden, a voice boomed down from heaven, ascend. So he did. Jesus stretched out his arms, looked up to heaven, and slowly began to rise. Well, his disciples and his friends saw what was happening, and they were a little surprised, but Mary backed up to get a running start, took off, jumped up, and grabbed Jesus' ankle. And John, seeing Mary, also backed up, got a running start, jumped up, and grabbed Jesus' other ankle. And Jesus, slightly alarmed, looked down, looked up, and said, God, what do I do? And God said, ascend. So Jesus reached down, grabbed John and Mary by the hand, and all together, holding on to one another, lifting each other up, they slowly began to rise. Well, the other disciples and friends, they saw John and Jesus and Mary, and so they began to run and grab onto their ankles, and Jesus and Mary, they began to grab on their hands, but Jesus, really alarmed now, God, what do I do? Ascend! So, all together, holding on to one another, lifting each other up, they slowly began to rise until there was a tiny pyramid dangling in the sky. 
And soon people from all over the countryside began to see what was happening. People who had been loved by Jesus, cared for by the disciples, people who saw a vision for a different world, they began to run and jump and grab on and all together, holding on to one another, lifting each other up, they slowly began to rise. Down at the bottom of the pyramid, though, a little girl was hanging on tight. She was scanning the horizon and finally said, hey, stop! I want to take my dog, but I don't know where he is. And Jesus looked down from the very top and said, well, try to hurry. I don't know how this thing works. And so the little girl, still scanning the horizon for her dog, reached down and grabbed a tree branch and held on tight. And she began to rise, and the tree began to rise, and it looked like the tree would be uprooted, but the tree reached down and curled its toes to the earth and held on tight. And so the earth began to rise, too. And the earth might be torn away from the ocean, but the ocean reached out with its waves and held on tight to the earth, and slowly, all together, holding on to one another, lifting each other up, the whole world was drawn closer to God. And it was only then that God said, the end. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.